This should be played at high volume, preferably in a residential area. Live and local from the 1037 The Game Studios in Upper Lafayette. This is Acadiana's number one sports station, 1037 The Game. Streaming live at 1037thegame.com and on the free 1037 The Game mobile app. It's Saturday. It's Time to take a walk on the wild side. Get your Saturday started with an inside look under the dome with the world famous CD. Do you know who I am? I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. On 103.7, the game. And welcome everybody to the must listen to Saturday morning sports talk show in all of Acadiana. Under the Dome with yours truly. Yo, it's me. It's me. The world famous CD. And as always, we are coming to you live from the beautiful, palatial, and dare I say perfectly opulent 103.7 The Game Studios. Baby, we're looking good. Woo! And we appreciate you however you're listening. Be it on the FM dial. The tower of power, too sweet to be sour, I'm funky like a monkey. Sky's the limit and space is the place. Be it through our free 1037 The Game mobile app, smart speakers, Windows phone, however you want to listen to us, and we appreciate the hell out of you. And I'm sure you're over the moon with the fact that it is just a wonderful Saturday morning. Sure, maybe some things aren't necessarily great around the world, but right now, it's looking great. We got baseball back. We've got the NBA getting ready to come back next week. I can't wait for next weekend, by the way. That is going to be absolutely fantastic. So much hockey, so much soccer, so much basketball. It's going to it's going to be absolutely litty next week when we move over from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Over the moon. Looking forward to it. I'm sure you are as well. And I got to say, this is going to be a great show. You get Zion Williamson. He is back Finally, he came back last night, a huge surprise to me, and I'm absolutely looking forward to it. Hopefully, you are as well, and hopefully, you're having a great Saturday so far. Obviously, you heard the Astros last night, and that was one heck of a ball game, one heck of a way to start off the 60-game sprint to the finish, and I should say 60-game start and finish. That is probably the fastest it's ever been in the history of the MLB. I'm almost certain of that, but there's one thing that kind of burned my beans earlier this week. That made me a little not happy. But it's well past time to talk about it, and why not do it like we do each and every Saturday morning to start off the show, and that is, without a doubt, do it the right way. Start it off hot with the Saturday Sports Sermon. I don't normally go into the realm of PC culture, but I'll make a, an exception for something I saw on social media earlier this week. If you didn't see it, apparently several public speakers said that the Cajun Dome name needs to be changed 100% full stop. 2020 is becoming more and more of a bleep show in my book, and now apparently the Cajun Dome is a dirty word in the eyes of these quote-unquote public speakers. I don't know what kind of public speakers they are, but honestly, they should just shut up 
and not necessarily talk about this because it absolutely infuriates me with the fact that, you know, earlier this week we saw the Washington football team's name get changed to what I just said, the Washington football team. Tell me that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. It's ridiculous. They should have changed it probably a long time ago, but I'll get to that in a little bit. But when you think of Cajun, you don't think of it as a dirty word, a derogatory term. It is part of our culture. It's ingrained here in the heart of Acadiana. That's why we call it the Cajun Dome, the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. That's why we call it that. But apparently these public speakers, and I'm definitely using air quotes, they need to log off social media for a bit, crack open a Louisiana history book, and realize how important that word is to us and the culture. And they may consider that word offensive, but they are dead wrong on that take. I have been just sitting here for a week after a week after a week waiting for something like this to happen because I knew it was going to happen sooner than later whenever we started to see all the stuff going on across the country with the taking down of the statues I'm not going to I'm not here to talk about that or anything else I'm just here to talk about strictly what's going on with the Cajun Dome because that is a slippery slope for this and again this is not a case of what's going on with the Washington football team the Redskins name should have been changed years ago but Dan Snyder is too big of a schmuck to realize that maybe you shouldn't use that name in 2020, let alone maybe 10 years ago, when Dan Snyder largely said in all caps, he is not changing that name. It is absolutely infuriating to me that you've got somebody like that in power that cannot figure out why this is a bad thing, why this is the dirty word that we all call it. There's a reason why we don't necessarily talk about what's going on with that dirty word. Because it is an absolutely disgusting word to say it. Redskins, A lot like what we see with the Braves and the Chiefs. I'd say even the Seminoles, but the Seminoles have approval. But here's the thing. Dan Snyder's not the only one who's complicit in this. FedEx definitely has a case to say, hey, they were the ones that may have probably kind of helped this thing stick around because they're kind of accountable to this too. They could have forced them to change the name when they bought the naming rights to the stadium back in the gap. I completely understand why the Redskins' name needs to be scrapped. But I think there needs to be a clear line of demarcation of what's okay and what's not. Because the old saying, either it's all okay or none of it is, doesn't necessarily apply. There's some gray areas at the end of the day. And I think when you look at the Redskins name, the Braves, the Tomahawk Chop that they have and the Chiefs have, it may not necessarily have aged well when it comes right down to it. But I understand it's part of that team's culture. But at the same time, it's also kind of appropriating a whole different culture. The Raging Cajuns of Louisiana will always be the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. It's in the heart of Acadiana. It is it is ingrained in the culture of that university. We got a swamp on campus for crying out loud. How can you think this is a good idea to even consider talking about this? And the fact this was brought up on social media burned my beans beyond belief earlier this week. It's not often I have a Saturday sports sermon come up right out the gate. And I'll say this, this is going to be another point that we're going to be talking about way down the line. What happens if the Cajun Dome name does get changed? I don't see it happening. But here's what's going to happen next. Obviously, the Raging Cajun name is going to be coming into question next. I'm sure that'll happen quicker than you can imagine if you see the Cajun Dome go away. But once you see the Cajun Dome go away, I guarantee you, and you see the Cajun name go away, you're going to see donation dollars go away. You're going to see a lot of people in mass walk away from the university and stop donating a bunch of money. And this is going to be met with a backlash, the likes we haven't seen in a long time involving 
the Cajuns. Yes, we've seen a lot of controversy in the past, but this one's going to wind up getting a backlash, and this isn't going to be party lines. It's going to be everybody. And you think about it, the Raging Cajuns, the Cajun Dome. I can remember for years, whenever WWE would come to town, they don't say Lafayette, Louisiana. They say they're coming to you live from the Cajun Dome. Every show I've seen since probably 2009, and they've been to the Cajun Dome quite a bit. They don't say Lafayette. They say Cajun Dome every single time. They don't say it a whole lot whenever it comes to when they're in Detroit, Michigan, whenever they're at the Joe Lewis Arena. They don't mention it a whole lot unless they're at a building like the Cajun Dome. It's got a name unlike any other. The Raging Cajuns, it's a name unto themselves. You see tons of tigers. You see tons of different kind of animals. You see all these different things. The New Mexico State Aggies, the Texas A&M Aggies, there are tons of Aggies who are just roaming the streets. There is a lot of those out there. But here's the thing that I'm going to tell you right here, right now. You take away that, you take away the identity of the Cajuns, and you might as well start picking off all the other ones, like the Ole Miss Rebels. I'm sure that's definitely going to be discussed further down the road. You've got the running Rebs of UNLV. That's going to be the next thing to be discussed. But if you do that, you might as well call all of them the Louisiana football team, the LSU football team, the Auburn football team. It doesn't have a great ring to it. The Washington football team is fine and dandy for a temporary purpose, but at the end of the day, this is absolutely frustrating to see the Cajun Dome be considered a dirty word. There is no way, and I mean no way, that that should be considered a dirty word anywhere. The Raging Cajuns have definitely built a great reputation over the years. They're not raging, but trust me, they will be outraged if the Cajun Dome and therefore the Cajun's name eventually gets changed. Now, yeah, back in the gap, they were called the Bulldogs, and we see a lot of Bulldogs out there. There's, in fact, one up in North Louisiana, or as I call it, Arkansas South, over in Ruston, where there ain't much over there to do. Trust me, I know. I've heard from various sources. But you can't go, you can't really go back to the Bulldogs, put the toothpaste back in the tube without people knowing, hey, Y'all changed your name back to the Bulldogs. Had to be in the Raging Cajuns for so long and establishing that brand and establishing the brand of Louisiana over the last several years. You can't undergo a major name change like that without receiving a ton of backlash. So I'll go ahead and end my rant here. The people in charge of the Cajun Dome better not bend the knee and cave to that small minority. Because at the end of the day, they are just that, a small minority. The fan base that supports the Cajuns to this very day is way bigger than anything else. That 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 small minority, as I like to call them, it's not going to work. I don't think Louisiana Football Club or Louisiana FC, like we see over in the Premier League, I don't think that's going to work. And you change things like this, you do that and watch the Raging Cajuns name be next in line, and who knows what is what else is going to be taken away from that fan base. It wasn't going to be taken away from college football fans. I don't see, you know, people rooting for the Alabama Crimson Tide's name to be changed. Imagine if you wound up seeing the LSU football team against the, you know, let's just call them the Alabama football team. It doesn't have the same ring to it as the LSU Tigers taking on the Alabama Crimson Tide the first week of November. That's my Saturday sports sermon. Not necessarily sports-related, But it kind of has a bit of a ring to it because of the fact that the Cajun Dome is being considered for a name change, at least according to some public speakers slash influencers slash whoever the hell they think they are. To me, they're a bunch of jabronis. 
But you know who's not jabronis? The guest I've got on the show today. And I've got a lot of fun things to talk about. Obviously, the NFL preseason, that's not going on. That wound up getting part of the cancel culture and thrown out the window. And that's one thing that I think can stay going. And then you look at the MLB. They're back. We'll talk about that in a little bit at 1030. We're bringing on Christian Clark, NOLA.com, and the advocate. He covers the Pels. And a lot of big news concerning those New Orleans Pelicans came down last night. Zion is back, baby. I'm absolutely looking forward to that conversation with him. And also, I'm going to give you my look inside the NBA bubble. I'm going to give you a breakdown of that. Also, a breakdown of how I think the MLB is going to go this year. And it's a wild one. With the added fact, you have expanded postseason. I'll give you that and so much more on this show today. And also, Ross Jackson of Canal Street Chronicles. Join us in hour two at 11.30. Two guests at the 30s. And that means we got a whole lot of fun to get to here on Acadiana Sports Station 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. And we appreciate you listening in. And we got more Under the Dome with CD coming up next. And we are going to be talking a whole lot of baseball. And I can't wait to do it. Once again, you're listening to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. Welcome back to Under the Dome at CD on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. Wrapping up our number one in style, and I'm absolutely looking forward to talking about my favorite sport of them all. And, of course, we're talking baseball. And I just got to say, it's been great to have this back in our lives in full swing, full gear, ready to roll. And they've been crushing it lately. I'm not going to lie. I've enjoyed some of the stuff that's going on with this. It's There's a lot of negatives is I think the cardboard cutouts have already kind of like played themselves out a little bit because of the fact that we see guys like Tommy Lasorda having cutouts, that's cute. It's 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 a niche type thing, but I just I couldn't really get into the fact that we got Astros baseball on 1037 in the game last night. I still can't believe we got to that point. But more so, I'm gonna look at the first two games more specifically, because I feel like there's a lot more meat on that bone. Those were the two main ones I really watched. Obviously, you heard. Astros baseball right here on 1037 the game. It's not going to get in too much of detail about it. But here's what I really liked about the national broadcasts for the four letter network on Thursday. And I think one of the big things I enjoyed is the fact that they let it fly. And what I mean by it, meaning the cuss words, they did not give a, you know what about the fact that they had stuff that was not safe for television, not safe for work being said on national television. And I loved it. Yet right out the gate, Max Scherzer out there letting a dinger be hit by Giancarlo Stanton. And then all of a sudden he just straight up goes GD. He drops that one on you live on television. The first game of the year, the first inning, first home run of 2020. And that's what happens. It was absolutely perfect. And then you had Jock Peterson out there 
paying money to the swear jar, dropping the F-bomb not once, but twice. But it was the second one. That was the scream of a man in great pain, and I absolutely loved it. It was amazing just to see that. And more so, I think it was more entertaining with the fact that you had people staring into the skid a little bit. You had the organist just out there being the goat. I'd never really known how great that organist was for the Los Angeles Dodgers. But when you have a balloon fall onto the field in the midst of absolutely nothing going on, there's no fans, you're just sitting there, and you see that thing fly on down, or float on down, I should say, float on down from the outfield, and it lands down near the outfield, and you just hear 99 Louvre balloons, that absolutely slayed me every single time. And add the fact, it was just such a great night for baseball because it was for the first time ever since, like, freaking March, back when spring training was going to be nearly wrapping up. Then we get to the start of the season. COVID-19 reared its ugly head and threw a big kibosh on the season, potentially the Mexican standoff, everything that happened over the last couple months. It all finally came to a head, and we finally got baseball back in our lives, and it was so great Thursday was kind of the the appetizer. Friday was your main course, a whopping 13 games on tap yesterday. They got a lot more on tap today. In fact, the beginning started at 12.05, so right after my show ends, I'm going to go ahead and enjoy the ever-loving you-know-what out of the Brewers, the Cubbies, the Orioles, the Red Sox. I'm just going to be glued to my tube for the rest of the weekend. Full disclosure, I'm I'm just enjoying the fact we have baseball, we got Astros back on 103.7 the game. I'm just going to say it right now. I am in love with life right now for a lot of different reasons, but this is absolutely one of them. And I got to say, give credit to Louis Prejean. He is currently 1-0 with his Cincinnati Reds getting it done. Congrats to them. More power to him. Winning 7-1 over the Detroit Tigers. That was kind of a gimme game, Louis. So that's that's one thing you got to learn. It's a long season. Even though it's only 60 games, it's still a long season. A lot of other stuff can happen. So count your chickens, but don't count them before they hatch. Because trust me, you might not be getting many of those down the road. I know he's been kind of pounding the pavement for 60-0. Don't necessarily see it happening that way. The Mets got the win 1-0 yesterday. It was so much fun to see the Braves and the Mets square off. Yanis Cespedes, I'm hoping I'm pronouncing that name right. Yoannis Cespedes, that's, I think that's how you say it. I'm going to say it again. Yoannis Cespedes gets a home run to give him the win late in that ballgame. It was actually in the seventh inning they got it done. And I just say, the Mets could very well be a strong candidate for a favorite in the NL East right here, right now. And that's saying something, considering the fact that I was saying the Braves and the Yankees would be squaring off in the World Series when I talked with Ben on Thursday. I'll get to some of my more rational picks because I've I kind of have spent some more time looking at the numbers, breaking them down. I gotta say, there's gonna be a lot of fun to be had in hour number two when I start really deep diving into the statistics and analytics and give you an idea of who my favorite is. But I'll also say this I was talking about the Dodgers eight one win over the Giants on Thursday. I gotta say, Kike Hernandez, Enrique Hernandez is getting it done. He was absolutely raking on that game, taking the Dodgers to task, having a really nice home run. And I have to say, the Dodgers outclassed them in a lot of different ways and getting it done. And I mentioned, you know, there's a lot of players on that Dodgers roster I don't like, namely, you know, Cody Bellinger. But I got to give him a ton of credit. He pulled off something 
absolutely perfect in that game on Thursday. This was during that big five-run inning, which is exactly what Tundra Evans always mentioned you want to try and get away from, and that's a three-run inning. This is a five-run inning, something you don't want to have happen to you, and when it does, more often than not, you lose. But one of the big keys was Cody Bellinger on one play, he winds up going for a squeeze, and he already kind of was jumping the gun and going to home. And the pitch, basically, the the batter hit it straight to the pitcher, and the pitcher had every chance to just throw it to second, throw it to first, double play, inning over. But the fact that Bellinger was in his line of sight, he nailed this perfectly. It was He's heading home, pitcher throws to home, tries to get the, the run out. Lo and behold, it's a, the guy gets to second, you have somebody on third, so you put two of them in scoring position, but you get one out. This was an absolute win for the Dodgers to start off the season, and it was well done. And I was mentioning this to Chet Yoder, and I mean, this, I know it's a long season, 60 games, but guess what? Your team lost, and it was so darn good. Even seeing Garrett Colbebe in his first game in the Yankees uniform, even though I'm not a huge fan of him anymore, he looked good in his five innings of work, five strikeouts, but he did allow a home run, his one and only hit, and it was absolutely amazing. And I just love the fact that immediately I've got to tweet it out. You hate to see it. Yeah, he only allowed one hit, and it was the one run he allowed. But you got to think that that looked a lot better than Max Scherzer allowing four earned runs off of six hits. But the big number that stands out, 11 strikeouts. If Not for that not for that early burst where the Yankees wound up going up 2 nothing thanks to the Stanton home run. This seemed like it was going to wind up being a very, very tough out for those Washington Nationals to come away with the win, but now they're 0-1. They were 0-1 to start the season against the New York Yankees, and that game actually got delayed, which made me constantly think about, for about like an hour, Alanis Morissette's song. I was trying to think about how to tie in Ironic, one of her hit songs, into the situation involving the MLB, where they, after months of standoffs, they finally got to play baseball, and I was wondering how we could get that to work. And then I just said, you know what? I'm not even going to worry about it. I'm just going to let things happen as they should. And it was so much fun to just say, you know what? Isn't that ironic, don't you think? The fact that it's raining on opening day and costing, it didn't cost anybody a game because it wound up being called because of the fact it wound up going past the fifth inning. That was just a deluge of rain. It was like Mother Nature does not want baseball to happen, but it did. All right, we're going to go ahead and take a quick timeout. And when we come back, We're going to be talking some New Orleans Pelicans because that's what we need to do. Give the people what they want. Talk some pals. Zion Williamson back from his family emergency. He's back in the bubble. Hopefully he's in good shape and more importantly, test negative for COVID-19 and is ready to go after maybe a few days of quarantine right before the start of the season on Thursday. We'll talk to Christian Clark, NOLA.com, and the advocate right after this on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game and 103.7 TheGame.com. show for all the guys that got picked last for a pickup game of basketball. Now, let's get back to one white man who can't jump. It's the famous CD on 1037 The Game.
Hey, welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game and 1037thegame.com. And guess who's back in the bubble? Yes, you heard it right. Zion Williamson back from the bubble. The Pelicans put out a statement last night, and I could not wait to talk about it with our guest Christian Clark. I booked him before all this happened, but now we got a whole lot more to talk about when it comes to Zion Williamson, Christian Clark, NOLA.com, and part of the Advocate. Christian, how's it going, man? Hey, pretty good. How are you? I am doing fantastic. And the fact that Zion is officially back inside the bubble, I think that was something that we've been concerned about for about a week's time. And, you know, mind you, we'll get to the Pelicans' first scrimmage the other night in just a little bit. But that's got to be absolutely huge to get Zion back as soon as you did. Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, that's fantastic. It's the, you know, best news you could get. Um, you know, I think the next question becomes, how long is he going to have to quarantine for? Um, just based on the people I talked to really quickly, it's still to be determined. If you look at the NBA protocol, it said that people who got clearance, agreed to daily testing, and, and came back negative have to quarantine for a minimum of four days. You know, that's going off the document the NBA sent in June. Um, and we that's, I guess, the big question that, that still needs to be resolved and answered. I don't think even the Pelicans know the answer to that question, so they're working with the league to determine it. And you brought up the fact the four days, and you know, I think that absolutely having him back at this time is absolutely huge to kind of say, hey, you'll have enough time, even if you have to be quarantined for four days or so, based off of what possibly those tests came out to say. That that is going to be absolutely massive to have Zion Williamson ready to go right before the start of the regular season, potentially maybe even missing just that one game. Yeah, yeah, um, you know. If we're just talking about the, the game against the Jazz on Thursday, um, you know it'll be interesting to see. Um, you know, even even if he does do a four day quarantine and, and theoretically could play, you know, I'm not sure. Um, we we know that the Pelicans were have been really cautious um, about his health this year. You know, I think honestly it's it's just smart that if a guy is not able to, to practice or play for a week and a half or whatever, you don't want to just throw him into a high stakes game. You want to at least you know, let him get his legs under him a little bit. So we'll see on that. But, I mean, overall, it's it's fantastic news because I, I, I just don't know how, you know, you complete this this pretty treacherous climb to the playoffs without him. I, I don't think I don't think they stood much of a chance to do it with him. You know, I, I think it's a pretty decent chance. Mind you, they look good in their first scrimmage since the NBA postponed the season back in March. Mind you, they took on the Brooklyn Nets, but it was absolutely a one-sided affair. Pelicans get a 99-68 win. I mean, the numbers absolutely shine to you, 99 points for the Pels. But I think the defensive numbers were quite good as well. I think that was definitely a promising sign for a very young team. Yeah, I thought they looked really sharp. I mean, you know, provided they were basically playing against a G League team. But <laughs> Nets team was, yep. was pretty rough. Um you know, the, one of the plays that stuck out of my mind from that game was late in the first half when Drew Holiday backed down Chris Chioza. And, you know, it's like a six foot four, maybe the strongest guard in the league, backing down a dude who's like, you know, my height and weight. And, you know, he just, he just sunned him kind of and got him in one. Um, <laughs> I mean, Pelicans were just a way better team and much better talent on the floor. But yeah, they looked, they looked really sharp. I mean, they, on the offensive end, I thought, you know, they moved the ball pretty well. They didn't look like a team that, that hadn't played in like 130 days together. It was just impressive, Christian. Talk right now with Christian Clark at NOLA.com and also part of the Advocate. 
And I think one of the biggest things for me was just to see how you, you, you were able to see a more complete performance from a guy like Brandon Ingram. B.I. out there having some great pull-up threes. It, it was fun to see that offense kind of really work. And obviously, Etwan Moore was the big like headline everybody looked at. Because Etwan wound up being a little in fuego that night as well. Oh, man. I think people who followed me this year know I'm a, a big Etwan Moore fan. I mean, look, I'm not trying to paint him as like you know, the savior or anything like that. But I, I just I just appreciate Etwan because he's a guy that just comes out and, and does his job. I mean, he's going to hit his floaters. He's going to hit his spot-up threes. You know, I, I joke that I feel like he could hit, you know, those shots that are in his wheelhouse, like on the moon or Saturn or something. Like, there's just nothing you could do to, to get Etwan out of that zone, and he's going to do what he does. But, yeah, they, they looked really good. And, you know, another thing about Ingram, um, I mean, I've, I've been a huge fan of what he's been able to do this year. Um, I I liked what I saw from Ingram too from, in the first half from a passing perspective. Um, I know he only had a two assists in that game, but I I think maybe the best version of Ingram is a guy who's a distributor as well, and, and maybe not quite as much scoring as we saw this year. I mean, I think he's got really good vision, and and when he's he got it going from a playmaking perspective, I think he's really fun to watch. Oh, he's a ton of fun to watch, and I think one of the big things that I noticed, I mean, it's obviously you're in the bubble, no fans, and the fact that it's a whole new setup now. It's it's a whole different world with the way the benches are set up, where it's got a little social distancing. That probably creates a lot of interesting kind of like growing pains for a guy like Alvin Gentry, who last time we talked, we weren't sure if he was going to make it there, and now he's actually there, and he's out there about to get ready to coach his team to a possible playoff run. How huge is that to have Alvin Gentry there, number one? And number two, having like him kind of start to learn how to do things in this new world because this is a, a very unusual time, first of all, but unusual kind of dimensions as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they've got everybody. There are really you know, no excuses now that, that Zion's back. Um, yeah, I've, I've actually kind of enjoyed it. I mean, it's really stripped down, but... You know, I on one hand, I I enjoy this theatrical element of going to an NBA game, like there's you know noise playing during the possessions. But I don't know. Part of me almost likes this a little bit. Um, you know, I guess there's going to be a little bit of sound, but it's pretty quiet. Um, I think the NBA has been smart about you know like blacking out certain parts of the court, so it doesn't look like they're playing in like you know this cavernous arena that, that's empty. It um, it you know it feels pretty full I guess because of, of the way they've set the courts up and everything and I've been I've been really impressed just the couple, you know, scrimmage games I've saw. I think, you know, it has a chance to be really fun. And you know, one of the things I'm looking for is like do do guys have, have mental blocks because of the crowd? Like I, I watched the Sixers play today and Ben Simmons just fired in a three pointer from the corner, you know, no hesitation. Like I wonder if some guys just had that mental block from, you know, uh, like a really loud, you know, eighteen thousand person crowd or whatever. I mean, we saw Ben Simmons nail a three. So I'm almost certain maybe he had a mental block in terms of training threes. When you look at what he did with the Sixers last night, that was that was the biggest takeaway I had from yesterday's scrimmages: the fact that Ben Simmons is actually making three pointers again. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that that looked pretty smooth. That looked pretty smooth. It's like he had been doing it his whole life, but we never got to really see it in a Sixers jersey until we finally had no fans in the stands. Maybe that was a big block for him. But when it comes down to it, I think we need to look at what's going on with this team right here, right now. And they're on the right path. 
and they've got pretty much on paper the easiest schedule when it comes down to it. Add the fact that you know you look at the Clippers, you got several players that are largely MIA having to leave for one reason or another. This is setting up almost too perfect. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, a, a lot of those guys are are dealing with you know what what teams are describing as family medical issues. Um, it it is setting up perfect. You know, I saw I heard that Stan Van Gundy throw this theory out um, on the Low Post Eclos podcast, but he said that you want to play those upper crust teams early in your schedule. You have to play them because he thinks that you know they're going to be resting guys earlier just because of you know how long the layoff is and then kind of be ramping up you know the later they go in the seeding rounds that's kind of the opposite of how those really good teams would do it in the regular season and I think there might be something to that theory and if you look at the Pelican schedule their toughest two games are right off the bat you know once they get done with the Jazz and the Clippers everyone they face from there on out is a sub 500 team and it, it, again it just sets up way too nicely the fact you have it it, it, it the conspiracy theories are always abound when it comes to this, but it just more and more makes you wonder: Was this just set up perfectly for the Pelicans to make the playoffs and keep JJ Reddick's streak going? It's, it's pretty good. I mean, I'm I'm happy that the NBA decided to factor in remaining strength of schedule with with each team's remaining eight game slate. I mean, I honestly think they did a pretty fair job of of bringing everyone back. I mean, it's it's very difficult to to wrestle that that eight seed away from Memphis as it should be, you know, anytime a team has a three and a half game lead with eighteen games to go, you know, that's that's hard to overcome. So no one's going to be completely happy. I mean, I think you know Pelicans have a gripe with the Trailblazers thing. They're they're going to essentially have to finish you know one game better than Trailblazers during the seeding round, even though they're tied in games back, um, just because of the uneven number of games played. But overall, I think this is pretty fair, and um, I've, I've just been impressed so far. I think it's a pretty good plan, and, and so far it seems like it's working. We brought up Brandon Ingram earlier. Isn't he the no-doubt like most improved player in the NBA this year? Yeah, you know, most improved to me is the most nebulous one. I mean, like, this is... This is kind of out of nowhere, but like I think you could make a case that like Luka Doncic is the most improved, but also you know he's like a fringe MVP candidate. You know some people have him fourth or fifth or whatever. So even think about him. I mean I think Ingram is definitely on the short list. Um, if I sat down and voted, I think I would probably vote for Ingram. But you know most improved is just so subjective. Um, but you know when I look at Ingram season. Obviously we you know I talked about the, the improvement as a three point shooter um, that was. Huge for him. I mean, we saw him just nailing threes off the dribble the other night. That was, that was crazy to see. Um, you know, I was looking at his free throw numbers today. He's twenty percent better from the line than he was in LA. It's just, it's just, you know, very uncommon for a guy to take a leap as a shooter. You know, from from year three to four, like Ingram did, and it's a credit to his work ethic and the time he's put in with Fred Vinson. It was really cool to see. I mean, he's he's a blast to watch. I enjoy him as a player and a person. I, I, I like his attitude. It's absolutely amazing, Christian. Talking around Christian Clark, writer for the Pel- writer, beat writer for the NOLA.com and the Times-Picayune and the Advocate. So make sure you check him out. And trust me, we're going to love a lot of the stuff that's going on with the Pelicans right here, right now. So why don't you put on wax? What do you think the record's going to be coming out of this eight-game seeding? Is it going to be that 6-2, and two, kind of that magic number we keep hearing about? 
I didn't know six and two was a magic number, but I, it just I, feels like that's I, the I number where I, you could potentially like wind up getting at least into that double elimination format to where you at least have a, a lot better of a shot to get into that eight seed. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. No. I I think that's a target. You know, a, a realistic goal for this team. I mean, I think you know you're going to have to finish one game better than the Blazers, kind of like I just hit on and. I'm a little bit worried about them. I'm not going to lie. I mean, I just Nurkic is back. Zach Collins is back. I mean, they made the Western Conference Finals a year ago. So, yeah, six and two. I mean, I think you know it's, that's probably the minimum. Um, it's it's going to be really interesting. Um, you know, I'm glad, I'm glad you asked me. Now that we know that uh, our guy Zion is back, I think it's I think it's very doable. Um, you know, going six and two, but I also worry that the Pelicans go six and two, and the Trailblazers go six and two too. <laughs> Christian, one other thing before we kind of let you go, and I think it's actually just a little bit more fun to kind of talk about this because we were bringing this up yesterday afternoon in a conversation with one of my other coworkers was the fact that who's one player that would come to the Pelicans that you wouldn't necessarily be a huge fan of and you wouldn't be able to really root for like you do the rest of the, of the Pelicans roster? You mean a, a guy who I, I don't personally enjoy but might enjoy the Pelicans? Well, who you don't enjoy that if he wound up joining the Pelicans, you would find a hard time rooting for. Let's just put it that way. Oh, okay. Um, just just any player in the league. Any player in the league, man. Okay, um, man. I, I'm I'm a short guard. I mean, I, I wasn't very good. I played for my high school team, but I always I always disliked um, like centers. The only thing they can do is is just post moves, and they're kind of black holes inside. And they don't really do anything else. Um, no, those guys are a rarer and rarer breed. Man, as far as people, I just hate their games. Man, you just put me on the spot right here. I don't know. I I feel like I gotta like do my research and couch all my language before I just say somebody who I I kind of detest. I don't know. Can we just agree that I'm um, Anthony Davis was on that list? <laughs> Uh, man, uh, uh, yeah, we can agree. We can agree. <laughs> Christian, thank you so much for coming on, my man. We'll talk to you down the road. And I'm sure, just like me and just like a lot of people in the Acadiana area, we are over the moon by the fact that the NBA is going to be back next Thursday. All right, next time I'll have a, a better answer for you on the guy I would never want to see in a Pelican's uniform. All right, Christian, thanks again, man. All right, thanks. All right, that was Christian Clark part of NOLA.com and The Advocate. You can follow him on Twitter at cclark300. Make sure you check him out and give him a follow while you're at it. And we're going to go ahead and wrap up our number one in just a little bit. Going to take a quick timeout, and we'll be back with a whole lot more. And I'm going to give you some quick reaction to the round of 32 involving the Legends of the Fall bracket, which you can still vote on on 1037thegame.com. Give you some deets about that in a little bit. But we got more after this. You're listening to Under the Dome with CD right here on Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. The preps to the pros and everywhere in between. I gave it a uh, a ten, a ten. 
Let's get back under the dome with the world-famous CD on Acadiana's Sports Station. 103.7 The Game. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station. 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. I think what everybody around these parts has been talking about as of late involves the Acadiana's Legends of the Fall presented by Stan's Auto Center. And I got to say, it's been a lot of fun kind of talking about what the field of 64 was going to look like last weekend. But now we get to see the field, and more importantly, we are in the round of 32, drawn ever closer to finding out who is in that two-sweet 16. And I got to say, it is definitely intriguing to look at those matchups. And we're going to look through a bit of them one by one, because I think that's the more entertaining part of all this. And starting with the Kevin Falk region, he's taking on Raymond Calley. It's a battle running backs. To me, I got to give the edge to Kevin Falk in my book, and he is dominating that one-versus-eight matchup. A tough break for King Calais, definitely a lot more known as a track star, but has made his hay over at UL. In fact, now he's with the Tampa Bay Bucks. Congrats to him for earlier in the week signing a contract with the Tampa Bay Bucks. And then it's a little more interesting one. New school taking on a little old school in the running back battle. Travis Etienne, a Clemson, grad, a Clemson player, I should say. He's not an alum. He's going to be an alum after this season. Because he went back for his senior year, taking on Buford Jordan out of Iota. I think I got to go with the with the number five seed out of the Falk region. Give it to HN over Buford Jordan right now. You've got that one, Travis HN winning that one. Again, these results are going to be coming out on Monday. Then Traven Durrell, who's on RP3 and Company, the 14 seed, looking to pull off another pretty big upset against Church Point's Tony Citizen. And I wouldn't be surprised. I think a lot of it might have to do with the fact that he went to LSU. And it's more recency bias than anything. Again, this is the best of all time, dating back to 1970. And there are a lot of big, notable names coming up, including right now Josh Reed taking on Clifford Champ, linebacker out of Satan Martinville. I got to give the Rain Wolves some love right here for that one. That's, again, some really fun matchups in the Falk region, but there's a lot of controversy abound in some of the later regions including one I'm going to get to in just a moment, and that is the Jake DeLome region. Controversy abound here. I think there might be a little bit of the Acadiana high love, a little bit too much maybe. Number nine, Jacob, number nine seed, Jacob Contrera taking on Jake DeLome, quarterback out of Turlings. I got to give the edge to the Turlings Rebel quarterback because he was absolutely phenomenal as a quarterback back in the day, but I'm definitely not surprised Contrera getting a lot of love because he was a key part of those early state championship teams in the mid-2000s. I can remember seeing him back in the gap. He was pretty darn good. Then you have Brandon Stokely, Leroy Achan, a defensive lineman out of Nish. Brandon Stokely, obviously, out of Como. i got to give the edge to Leroy Achan, but I'm not surprised that Como is dominating this one because, to me, I feel like Brandon Stokely more so is known for him being a multi-sport athlete and everything else that he brings to the table, but I'm not, I'm not, I shouldn't be surprised by that. And then what was a really fun first-round matchup, Allie Broussard taking on Delamont at Battle of Acadiana High Products, and Allie Cat advances to the second round, taking on Jared Mitchell, an athlete out of Westgate. And, you know, i got to give the edge to the Alley Cat here on this one, and he is actually leading out of that bracket. And the final one out of the DeLome region, Brandon Mitchell versus the late great Orlando Thomas. I got to go with Orlando Thomas, the defensive back out of crowd. He was pretty damn good back in the day. He gets the edge for me. He's currently leading in that poll as well. Just again, 
You need to check it out if you haven't already. Acadiana's Legend of the Fall, presented by Stan's Auto Center. You won't regret it. It's so much fun to kind of look back. Johnny Hector, the number one seed, taking on Michael Desermo out of Catholic I New Iberia, the big running back. We had him on Bumper to Bumper Sports this past, not yesterday, but the Friday before that. Had him on talk about his career. Johnny Hector, I, I'm surprised that he is rolling away with this because I thought maybe Mike Desermo would have gotten a little bit more love. And this one's interesting. I'd probably want to give the edge to Devery Henderson because he definitely deserves it. He's taking on Keelan Williams out of Northside. I think the five could really come away with this right here, right now. He is in the lead, but it is a close one. The Northside Vikings crew is all in on getting that one done. And now you got Damian James, quarterback out of Karen Crow, taking on Dominic Davis, a running back DB out of Bro Bridge. I got to go with Damian James again. This is a little bit Karen Crow bias, and I'm kind of surprised. You have Dominic Davis actually behind in this one, actually leading this one, I should say. Kayshawn Butte, Jamaican Dartez out of Cecilia. A little bit more rapid fire here because we're about to hit that hard break in just a few, but I got to go with Jamaican Dartez. That recency bias with Kayshawn Butte, I can't buy into it. Me and Blaine got into a big argument about it, about the fact that I can't necessarily put a guy that's been in the high school ranks in the last five years in my top ten, just me personally. And then we go to the Doucette region, which is early Doucette. Athlete out of St. Martinville taking on Mark Roman out of Nish. i got to go with early Doucette, a hell of a player. Trev Falk, Carl Dunbar. I was mentioning with a friend of mine who went to Lafayette Eye. They said, if Trev Falk's not in there, what is going on with this bracket? Trust me, if if Trev Falk was not in there, this bracket has no point. we got to put Trev Falk advancing to the next round. Sorry to Carl Dunbar, a hell of a talent as well over at Plaisance. And this is where kind of we get to more of the controversial stuff. Corey Raymond, one of the architects of DBU over at LSU, taking on Jamie Howard, quarterback St. Thomas Moore. His son, Walker Howard, definitely could wind up on this list 10, 15 years down the road. He hasn't played a snap yet, but I'm sure he'll get consideration for this when we run it back maybe 15 years from now. But as of right now, I got to go with Corey Raymond here, and that's kind of where all the all the fun ones land. But here's where the controversy lies. You got STM versus STM. Sam Schofield actually wound up beating out Cedric Figaro, a number two seed, the biggest upset so far. Obviously, there's one a Bruin in the Delome region, which would be a damn disappointment. But again, Javon Walker, Sam Schofield, this is tough. Javon Walker went to college at Florida State, wound up having a great career in the NFL. But when you just look at what he did back in the gap for STM, I gotta vote. I gotta give him that vote, and he's actually winning that one by a handy amount. Hopefully, you you've enjoyed the legend, Acadiana's Legends of the Fall. It's absolutely amazing, and it's all brought to you by Stan's Auto Center of Lafayette, Louisiana, at thirty two oh three Johnson Street, not far from the Grand Theater in Lafayette. So make sure you check it out. Hour one in the books. Hour two coming up next. We got Ross Jackson joining the program at around eleven thirty. You're listening to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. Coming up next, I'm going to talk about the NBA and give you my guide to the bubble. This 
should be played at high volume, preferably in a residential area. Live and local from the 1037 The Game Studios in Upper Lafayette, this is Acadiana's number one sports station, 1037 The Game. Streaming live at 1037thegame.com and on the free 1037 The Game mobile app. It's Saturday. Time to take a walk on the wild side. Get your Saturday started with an inside look under the dome with the world famous CD. Do you know who I am? I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. On 103.7, the game. And welcome, everyone. Hour number two of the Must Listen to Saturday Morning Sports Talk Show in all of Acadiana under the dome with yours truly. Yo, it's me. It's me. The world famous CD coming to you live as always from the 1037 The Game Studios, which are absolutely palatial, opulent, dare I say cromulent. So hopefully you're enjoying me coming to you live from the game studios. Now, I can't help it. That I'm custom made. I can't help it that I look good, smell good, can't dance all night long. And we appreciate you listening in, be it through the Tower of Power, the FM dial. This is where the power lies. Or that fancy schmancy free mobile app, smart speaker, transistor radio, however you're doing so. We appreciate the heck out of you listening in on a Saturday morning, and I'm sure more people than ever are listening in for one reason and one reason only, and that's because sports are back. The NBA is getting ready to be starting up this time next Thursday. I cannot wait for it, and I'm just looking forward to seeing how things go when it comes to that magical thing they call the bubble. There's a lot of questions surrounding the NBA bubble and which way things could very well go in terms of who's who inside of that bubble, because there's a lot, there's, I just feel like there are a ton of questions surrounding what's going to happen, who's going to advance where, and how things kind of stand right here, right now, heading into this eight-game sprint, the mad dash for the finish, and it's a unique experience for everybody, the players, the media, and everything in between. And it's just, you wonder, who's going to come out on top in the bubble because there's a lot of teams involved in this. I'm going to go ahead and start off looking at the way the Eastern Conference lays out, because that one feels like it's the most easiest to determine who comes out of there. I'll get to that in a little bit. I'll also give you my finals prediction right here, right now. Put that bad boy on wax. He's going to be starting on Thursday, July 31st. The Pels are going to be starting this that bad boy off, taking on the Utah Yaz. But we'll start in the Eastern Conference I'll just kind of break it down in different tiers. I don't feel like boring you with all the information that I've kind of accrued over the last few months. And we'll start off by saying the Washington Wizards are the team that's probably just along for the ride. They are absolutely awful. There are 24 and 40. Wizards currently 28 and a half games back of the Milwaukee Bucks. This is a team that, again, has a chance. They're currently about four and a half games back at that eight spot. But that is going to be a big, big mountain to even remotely try and attempt to climb. And hopefully they can. I would love to see the Wizards upset the apple cart a little bit and take on the Orlando Magic. But it just feels like that is going to be a tough road to hoe, especially, you know, you look at how things are in the Eastern Conference. You've got the Magic and the Nets 
Both teams definitely don't necessarily belong in that conversation, but they could very well slip down. I think that's the only thing you can hope is that the Brooklyn Nets, who hardly have anybody really that can really help them, that's going to be a big problem for the Eastern Conference because I don't think you want to see a Wizards team that could very if they get hot, this could be an interesting postseason, and the Bucks could be sweating them. We'll see on that end. The Orlando Magic right now are the eight seed. They are they seem like they're going to be set up. It's relative home field advantage. Going to be playing in Orlando at the Wide World of Sports, but I I definitely get to say with those it, with the tier list, it is. The Wizards, the Magic, and the Nets, 9, 8, 7. Those three kind of all, all rolled together in my book. Meanwhile, the 76ers look a lot better. They've pretty much clinched that playoff spot at this point in time. It's all about figuring out how 7 and 8 are going to look and who's going to wind up filling those roles if there's going to be a double elimination type setup. We'll see on that end. But I think the Pacers, the 76ers, excuse me, are on that next tier alongside the Pacers. Both of them have identical records at 39 and 26. But I think the big thing is, Ben Simmons is making threes. Ben Simmons looking impressive after, you know, years of not looking impressive for LSU and for the 76ers. Finally, we're starting to see him kind of come out of his shell a little bit. Ironically, no fans around might have helped him improve his game a whole lot. And the fact the fact that I saw him make a three-pointer, like, surprised the hell out of me. Again, it's in a meaningless game, but still, he hadn't hardly made a three ever. But we finally got to see the former LSU Tiger get it done from three-point land. The Pacers are right behind him. I mean, they have one player that tested positive, but he'll be back before long. I think they have a chance to really try and upset the apple cart, but it's that next tier that's going to wind up, like, kind of ticking them off. And his bottom line, Heat, Celtics, and Raptors. They are going to be your second-highest tier if we were to do a tier tier list for the Eastern Conference and I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that the Raptors are so damn good. that Yes, they are the defending champs. Yes, they don't have Kawhi Leonard, but they've continued to look good. They've continued to keep it competitive in an Eastern Conference that felt like it was largely the Bucks for a long, long time. It was going to be the Bucks for a long time, especially after Kawhi Leonard left. I thought I was comparing him to the Miami Marlins, where that franchise was going to have its one shining moment, and then poof, just like that, it is gone. But lo and behold, the Raptors have changed their fortunes quite a bit, and they are sitting pretty at 46-18, and 18, the number two seed. They're just going to be sitting back, relaxing, kind of sitting a lot of their guys. I would not be surprised on that part. And then we get to the Milwaukee Bucks. The Greek freak seems like he's more likely than not going to be the league MVP for the second straight year, according to a lot of people. This is going to be your Eastern Conference champion. They are the top tier for a reason. 53, only 12 losses before the break, before the postponement of the regular season. And now they're getting ready for the eight-game stretch. I think the Milwaukee Bucks have a distinct edge in the bubble because of the fact you have one of the best players in the league ready to go at any given moment. Let's flip on over to the Western Conference where there's a lot of things to talk about. You saw the Pelicans. They barely got in. They're a 10 seed. They want to fill out that 22-team kind of bracket, if you will, and you look at the way the Eastern Conference win, it was just the top nine. It was just the top nine. They managed to fix it to where the Pelicans got their guy in and also wound up getting in a couple more teams that I don't think deserved a spot. And that's where the bottom tier, and they don't deserve to be in the conversation at all, and that is the Suns, the Spurs, and the Kings. Those three teams are absolute garbage, 
and they don't belong in this conversation. They are at the bottom tier of the way it looks right now to me. I put the Pelicans in a higher tier than the Kings, Spurs, and Suns for a big reason, and that's Zion Williamson. He's looking extremely jacked. He looks absolutely outstanding, and I'm sure he is absolutely ready to wreck shop all over everybody. I'm going to get to the Pelicans in a little bit. Because to me, I think they are a tier higher than the Trailblazers and the Grizzlies for one specific reason, and it's Zion Williamson. So the second tier, or the second to bottom tier, is going to be the Grizzlies and the Trailblazers. And the Grizzlies just have been absolutely awful late down the stretch, 29 and 37. There's a chance where the Pels could jump both these teams. They are currently tied with the Blazers for that nine seed alongside the Sacramento Kings. So you have every chance of immediately jumping into that nine seed. And then you're just only a couple of games back of those Memphis Grizzlies. And you have a chance to play that team twice during this restart. And you're playing them on August 3rd. And then you're, I thought you were going to play them twice, but you're not. You're going to play the Grizzlies just once. You're playing the Kings twice. That's even better because you're playing a crappy team. That's the biggest thing. You're going to be playing a crappy team twice during this run, and that could help you increase your chances of getting within that three games. We keep talking about it. Six and two could very well secure you a spot in the postseason, and you play the Grizzlies in a double elimination setup to where you could very well make it to the postseason and keep J.J. Reddick's playoff streak alive. That's going to be the biggest key here. And to me, I think when you look at this tier list, the Pelicans, the Mavericks, and the Rockets are in that next tier up. Russell Westbrook had COVID-19, but he's back out He's back out there. Get ready to go back out on the court after being out for two weeks. He was asymptomatic. But again, I'm going to be interested to see how guys like Rudy Gobert and some of the guys that had this at first, Donovan Mitchell, how those guys are going to be the, one of the first guys to have tested positive for COVID-19, how they're going to react to exactly what, all what's going on involving the NBA bubble life and how their bodies respond. Because after all, you know, this affects your lungs. This will affect your, you know, kind of your stamina and your and your cardio. I'm interested to see how some of those guys who have had it, even recently, again, case in point, Russell Westbrook, if James Harden had it, who knows? How, how all this is going to affect them is going to be a real question. The Houston Rockets have every chance to really break through, but they're going to be in that, like, right in the middle tier for me, Rockets, Mavericks, Pelicans. And then you go towards the second-to-highest tier. You've got to go Thunder, Jazz, Nuggets, in that order. The Thunder have just looked a lot better, especially, I mean, after the Russell Westbrook thing, the Thunder still are able to keep themselves relevant, but they're at the bottom of this second-highest tier. Jazz and Nuggets are in a league to their own. They feel like they've got every chance to set themselves up for a lot of success. The Nuggets have been a thorn in the side of the Pels in the past, and I've seen the Nuggets. They've started to get a lot better, and nobody really talks about it. They've been a more of a low-key team from my point of view, and that's why they're at the top of that second-highest tier. But the top-tier teams in the West are going to be the ones facing off in the Western Conference Finals. It just feels inevitable. The Battle of Los Angeles in Orlando, the Lakers take it on the Clippers. This will be a dream matchup, and it will wind up getting tons of rating buzz. Ratings buzz. It'll go seven games. I give the edge to the Clippers. Kawhi Leonard has proven himself multiple times, twice, in fact. They can very well be a dynasty killer 
We saw what he did last year against the Golden State Warriors. We saw what he did against LeBron in his final year with the Miami Heat. Can he do it again against LeBron James in the Western Conference Finals? Can he prove himself to be an absolute legend, not just in the meme world, but can he prove it again? So I'm going to go with the Los Angeles Clippers taking on the Milwaukee Bucks in the NBA Finals. It's not the sexiest matchup. It's not what the NBA wants. But I'll tell you right now, they've got Zion Williamson in the playoffs in my book. They've got them. That is more than enough to feed the NBA and throw them more than uh, quite a few bones. So for me, you got to say it's going to be the Clippers taking on the Milwaukee Bucks in the finals. And I give the edge to the Milwaukee Bucks. They win this one in six games. I think the Milwaukee Bucks have a great lineup up and down, and it's a little bit better than the Clippers. I think I think you see Kawhi Leonard chase for that ring again, but again, he's not necessarily he wasn't planning on being, you know, a kind of LeBron James like look alike where he kind of forms a super team. He wound up jumping over to the Clippers. He could have jumped over to the Lakers and made that team absolutely unstoppable. He didn't. He decided to go with the Clippers, a team that has been a little hapless. Thankfully Steve Ballmer has turned that franchise around after the whole Donald Sterling thing. And now we get to the point where we can say He's going to lose this year, but the Bucks are going to make it a hell of a series. Bucks in six in my book over the, almost said the Raptors, the Los Angeles Clippers in the Eastern Conference Finals. I think it's going to be the Celtics. Bucks and Celtics are going to lose in five. That's about all I got in terms of the NBA preview for you. Coming up next, I'll preview what's going to be going down in the American League, the National League, and tell you who my World Series champ is going to be next. You're listening to. Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. CD is a five-tool player of sports talk. He can talk about a lot of different things, even some soccer. Fuel Manchester United, I suppose. Sing the Manchester United song. Okay, maybe not soccer. Back to Under the Dome on 103.7 The Game. And welcome back to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game at 103.7thegame.com. And it is time to look at some of the MLB predictions I have for the 2020 season. And I'm just going to go ahead and look at the division winners, more importantly, and then also give you who's going to round out the field. Because, again, this is going to be an expanded playoffs where you have the second-place team in each divisions go in, and then you have your two wild cards. So it's a real question to see who's going to wind up coming out of where. And I'm going to go ahead and start off with the AL West. I'm going to go from the West, Central, and East for both sides. But we'll start with the AL and the AL West, where the Houston Astros play and, of course, you can hear all the action of the Astros all season long right here on Acadiana's number one sports station. And we're going to go ahead and say the Astros win this one. And I don't think they win it handily. I think the Oakland A's are going to be your second-place team. I'll get to them in a little bit. But the Astros take this one, and they can very well have the best record in baseball when it's all said and done. It's going to be a lot of intrigue to see how that West looks. 
the first year post the sign stealing scandal and how everything goes because it's not going to be as hostile of a crowd. The, the crowd's not there. So it's going to be interesting to see how that all plays out. The AAL Central, though, is really hard to predict because it's such a god awful division. You got the Royals, the Tigers, the Indians, and White Sox. To me, the Minnesota Twins have to win this one. They are the team that's the least sucky, at least on paper. They've been really good in the past. So the Twinkies get the edge here to win the AL West, AL Central in my book. The AL East is the toughest division to truly predict. If this were a 162 game slate, the Yankees would roll with it and it'd be relative ease because I think they have everything set up for them and set up nicely. From what I saw, game one, Garrett Cole looked outstanding and it pained me to see that. But then again, he did allow a home run in the first inning. So I love to see that a little bit more. But I got to go with them taking the AL East. It feels easy, but the Rays and the Red Sox will make this a battle. Speaking of which, rounding out the field, going again west, central, east, I got to go with the Oakland A's being that second-place team. They have had potential in the past. This is a golden opportunity for them to make the postseason and really have a big learning experience going forward with a relatively young staff. And also, who wouldn't love to see the Astros and A's in an ALDS-type matchup, maybe even ALCS, hypothetically, to see those two teams face off somewhere down the road because you know the Mike Fires Astros heat is all too real. Coming out of the Central, I'm going to go with the Indians getting in that spot because the Indians are probably the second least sucky team. They've been able to be consistent in the past. The Detroit Tigers have a ways to go. The Royals, they've got a long way to go before they can even come close to what they did back in 2015. And then you look at what happens with these Tampa Bay, I mean, excuse me, not Tampa Bay Rays, listen to me, the Indians, and then you got the AL East, I was saying, the, the AL East team that's going to finish second, I think is the Tampa Bay Rays, they're going to be in that spot, and the wild cards are Red Sox and Mariners, the final two for me are those, and I'm looking forward to seeing the Red Sox do their thing, new manager, just like the Astros, but I think I give the edge to the Boston Red Sox being that first wild card team, they have a chance to make a pretty deep run. I'll get to the ALCS prediction in a little bit, but I cannot wait to see how the AL postseason looks. And I think the fact you have a lot of the similar faces, the AL, it's a lot harder to predict than I originally thought. I was like, okay, let's see. The West and the East are easy. The Central in both American League and National League are really hard to predict because there's a lot of uncertainty surrounding both franchises, both sides of it. Both, It's weird. To understand. And then you see the NL West. It's a lot like the AL West. It's easy to predict. The LA Dodgers are winning this thing. They've been winning it in the past. It'll be more intriguing to see who comes out of the West in that second place. I'll get to that later again. But one of the big things that I'm just taking away from it, again, it was just one game that I saw, and that was Kike Hernandez. He's going to be a breakout star on that team. Yes, you got a guy like Mookie Betts, who you're locked up to a 13-year deal, but tell me you don't want to see a guy like Kike Hernandez with his really awesome mustache, get it done. He is going to be a guy that I think is going to be an absolute breakout star for that Dodgers franchise going forward. And adding the fact he's got, you've got guys like Jock Peterson, Cody Bellinger, all young cats. Now you just need to make sure Clayton Kershaw can stay healthy. Cause obviously he's on the IL as of right now, going to miss out on seeing him take on Justin Verlander, Next Wednesday, which you'll hear again on 1037 the game. That would have been a lot of fun to, to hear, but it is what it is. Looking at the NL Central, I'm going to go ahead and go with the heart pick here. 
and I'll go with the Chicago Cubbies getting the victory and winning the NL Central. It's going to be a damn close race because I mentioned it with the AL Central. The NL Central, relatively speaking, isn't that great. Yes, you're going to see guys, teams like the Reds be in somewhat contention, and you'll see the Brew Crew look good, but it just seems like that is a tough division to outright predict who is coming out on top because there's a lot of different directions that you can go, and hopefully we see one team come out on top, and that is the Chicago Cubs out of the NL Central. Because I know Cody shoots wherever he is, probably in New Roads right now, maybe not coaching T-ball, but, you know, he's out there enjoying himself, so hopefully he liked the fact I picked the Cubbies. And probably Jordy and Ben are mad at me because I didn't pick the great St. Louis Cardinals. I'm sorry, the Cardinals got a long way to go before I'm going to start buying them being a legit threat again. Meanwhile, the Atlanta Braves, I got them coming out the AL East as the division champs. They're the young pups, the young bucks, but a 60-game season, I think, has a very good chance to favor them. Yes, they didn't look good in the open against the Braves. They didn't look good in their exhibition games. But guess what? It only takes a few games to get hot and start building a big winning streak. And I think the Braves have every chance to do so. That's my take. The NL East goes to them. And rounding out the field again, going from West, East, and Central. Coming out of the West, I got it's tough, but I've got to go with the Colorado Rockies coming out the West. They are a damn good team. It's just I think they're going to need a lot of luck. Nolan Arenado is going to need to really catch fire throughout the season to really secure that spot as the number two in the ALEs, because I don't I think you have a better chance at advancing than you do in the wild card. Coming out of the central, it's got to be the Cincinnati Reds. They're going to be the team to come out of that central. Louis Prejean rejoicing. Don't get me wrong. I think that they have a chance to make the playoffs, especially in this expanded format. But outside of that, I can't trust the Cincinnati Reds because of the fact they haven't been good in a long, long time. I mean you've had a handful of solid guys like Joey Votto, but there's nothing there that truly makes me intrigued. And closing it out in the East, the defending World Series chance, the Washington Nationals. I think they have a bit of a hangover year. They don't make it back to the World Series this year, but they still look good enough. They still look good enough. And then you round it out with the Mets and the Brewers as your wild card teams. I love what I've seen from the Brew Crew over the last few years. They've started to build up a lot of great talent. Christian Yelich, definitely the big highlight there. And then you got the Mets. The Mets have a lot of hypes around him. Yoannis Cespedes, Yoannis Cespedes, I keep trying to pronounce his name differently, but Yoannis Cespedes is going to be a guy, I think, that could very well be the home run leader before this is all said and done. Yeah, he only hit one home run yesterday, but he's still got a chance. He's still got a chance. And now the postseason. I'm just going to give you the ALCS, NLCS, and the World Series. And it's going to be a lot of fun to see the two ALCSs I have. You've got Houston versus New York. The storyline's endless. The trilogy goes down. We finally get to see the rematch from last year in 2017. A lot of there's a lot of bad blood between these two franchises. Can the Yankees get over the hump and get back into the World Series? Because it's been a long, long time since they've been in there. I think the Astros win in seven. In the NLCS, you got I've got the Los Angeles Dodgers taking on the Atlanta Braves, the prohibitive favorite up against the young upstart team that has potential and it's going to be a great learning experience for them. I got the Dodgers in six. And then we get to see the rematch that we've all been waiting for. Right after the Astros get sanctioned, 
Dusty Baker leads this team to a World Series taking on the Los Angeles Dodgers. The storyline abound. I'm not even going to get into all of them. It's the last ride for a lot of these guys in Astros jerseys right here, right now. George Springer, potentially Justin Verlander. The list goes on and on. Give me the Houston Astros in seven games. It is just that simple. And I got to take a quick timeout. When we come back, we are going to get to Ross Jackson, the Locked On Saints podcast, and also the Canal Street Chronicles blog. And trust me, we got a lot of great stuff to talk about with the New Orleans Saints. We'll do that and a whole lot more. And then we'll wrap up the show with one final take. I think you'll be interested in it, especially if you're a baseball fan who's tired of the fact they're not able to watch the Astros in the heart of Cajun country, where there are a lot of Astros fans because they're only about a few hours drive away. We'll be back after this right here on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game and 103.7 The Game.com. Sports talk radio shows go up to 10 on the amp, but under the dome with CD goes one higher. Why don't you just make 10 louder and make 10 be the top number and make that a little louder? These count to 11. Now back to the show that brings the heat on Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 The Game. Welcome back, everyone, to Under the Dome with CD right here on Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. Coming to you live from the 1037 The Game studios. And we're getting that much closer to training camp. We saw the NFL announce yesterday no preseason games. I think we're all the way for it. We're getting that much closer to football, hopefully, being back in what form. Just don't know yet. But we're going to talk about that and a whole lot more with our guy at Ross Jackson, Locked on Saints podcast and Canal Street Chronicles. Ross, what's going on, man? Hey, brother, doing very well. Glad to be back here with you. Uh, thanks so much for having me back. Hope you're doing well. I'm doing pretty well, man. You know, obviously, you know, You've definitely made it to the big time. You were on CST earlier this week. You were over in BR. You know, sorry that we can't be on, you know, a simulcast, at least at this point in time, but I'm sure you're you're more than welcome to come on this program anytime. I appreciate that, man. I'm always very happy to be here and chop it up with everybody, man. The way that I always look at it is that, you know, we're all a big family out here uh, covering this fantastic team and talking about, you know, this, this sports teams across this fantastic state. So I'm very, very excited about it. Before we get to the sports teams that we love across the state of Louisiana, I wound up finding out something interesting the other day on Twitter during opening night of the MLB season. Didn't I realize you were a Dodgers fan? So why don't we start there? What made you become a Dodgers fan? Because, I mean, I know you grew up out in NOLA, correct? Yes, that's correct. Yeah, no, um, yeah I, you know, I, I joked around a little bit and I called myself a lifelong Dodgers fan. Uh, that's usually just what I call myself as a bandwagon fan. Um, you know, with me, the, with me being a Saints fan, uh, yeah, I know what it's like to feel like you got cheated at, you know, on perhaps the biggest stage at any point within your, your season with the postseason and everything like that. The, uh, Dodgers certainly experienced something similar to that. Um, you know, I know that there's a lot of, a lot of Astros fans in Louisiana. I, by default, should have been an Astros fan because of me growing up in New Orleans. But just looking at what the Dodgers went through those couple of times and everything, it just kind of makes you want to pull for them a little bit. So that's what I mean by lifelong Dodgers fan. What I mean by that, honestly, is I guess I'm a Dodgers fan. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Ross. I, pr- I appreciate the outright honesty. And you're, by the way, you're talking to a noted 
Astros fan. I'm more than excited. I know it. And, you know, at the fact that this is a station where we air Houston Astros baseball, we got game two of 60. I almost said 162 for a split second there. Trying to get used right. to that. But, of course, the big news that everybody's been talking about is the fact that there are no preseason games this year. It's about damn time, Ross. Right. Yes, I know. Yeah, you and I have had this conversation a few times about just get rid of the preseason. It's fun. Um, and I think that at this point, it, it was the right thing to do, and, and it makes sense. I know that it feels a little conflicted for the NFLPA to push for no preseason games because you would imagine that the union would want to do everything that it could to make sure that players that maybe are at the bottom of rosters that are undrafted, new to the league, whatever it may be, that they get their opportunity and their shot to try out for, for every team across the NFL, which is really what the preseason does. It allows you to put tape out there for the other 31 teams that you're not with, as, uh, as well as the team that you are signed with. But the fact of the matter is that, just safety-wise, it didn't make sense to put all these players in high-risk competitive environments when the games didn't count for anything for the regular season. Exactly. It doesn't count towards anything at the end of the day. Add the fact that now it seems you're going to wind up seeing an 80-man roster once training camp gets started. You don't necessarily need to whittle it down from 90 to 53. You're going from 80 to 53, and I think that's definitely going to be the most interesting part of this particular training camp. Yeah, absolutely. And and on top of that, you know, you go from 80 to 53, but now they've also expanded the practice squad rosters to include 16 players. And those six key additions are really important because there's no cap on how many seasons a player has accrued. Usually you have to, you can only add players who have accrued a certain maximum number of seasons to your practice squad. Now you can add veterans to the practice squad in six different spots. And on top of that, you can protect four of those players on a weekly basis from being poached by other teams. When you're on the practice squad, you could be signed to any other team's active squad. Now every team can say, here are the four guys that we're designating as untouchable by the other 31 teams around the NFL. So that makes the cut down even more manageable for these coaches that are now going to have to do all of their evaluating during the training camp period, which keeps all that evaluation behind closed doors and can be pretty helpful for those teams that do want to sign some of those players back to their back to their uh, training camps, to their practice squad, after sending them off to waivers at the 53-man cutoff. Talk right now with Ross Jackson, Locked on Saints podcast and Canal Street Chronicles. And, you know, you brought up the practice squad, everything going on with that. Is there any chance JT Barrett makes it back on the practice squad? <laughs> he, he will be on somebody's practice squad. <laughs> the, good thing, the good thing for the Saints is that, you know, they've got four quarterbacks right now with the addition of Tommy Stevens, who is a seventh-round quarterback. I had a great conversation with uh, Chrissy Floyd, who writes over at uh, LSU Wire for USA Today, and had some really positive things to say about Tommy Stevens. So we could see Tommy Stevens potentially being that JT Barrett guy, but I, I don't know that he'll have the yo-yo potential that JT Barrett had, which was always very impressive to watch. So it'll be interesting to see who and if the Saints do have a yo-yo this year. I don't know if it'll be JT Barrett, but I have the feeling that he'll end up being somebody's yo-yo somewhere around the NFL, because they're going to want you know, those veteran, not, let me not, yeah, yeah, I guess I could say veteran quarterbacks, those NFL experience quarterbacks who have been in that position before. So I imagine he'll end up somewhere. I'm just not sure that it'll be with the Saints this time. And you bring up the yo-yo guy. Who do you think has the most chance to be, as you put it, that yo-yo guy, the guy that could wind up off and on that practice squad umpteen times? Yeah, I mean, I look at potentially some of these new undrafted free agents, and one guy that sticks out to me that could potentially end up there is uh, Tino Ellis. Tino Ellis is a talented defensive back, talented cornerback. He was a top corner for Maryland. Maryland's secondary coach during that time, or let me see, defensive assistant coach during that time, was a guy named Corey Robinson, who is now a Saints defensive assistant, particularly working with the secondary. So I could potentially see Tino Ellis 
being that guy that even if he ends up off the roster, it won't take long for his connection to Corey Robinson and somebody within the coaching staff to potentially bring him back on. So he would be a name that I would watch out for. But, of course, it's unprecedented. We never know. We never know who it's going to be. But, I mean, you brought up Tommy Stevens earlier, the quarterback out of Mississippi State. Obviously, he fits more of that Taysom Hill mold. And you brought up the fact that there's going to be at least one untouchable player on that practice squad. Do you think Tommy Stevens is that one untouchable guy because of the fact that he feels more like that spark plug type quarterback that Taysom Hill was? And obviously, I feel like they're going to start really molding Taysom Hill in the image of a potential Drew Brees. Because we all know that they've been talking about it for so long. Eventually, you got to kind of say, hey, let's put this guy in, in the position to where he could be the starting quarterback and be a true quarterback instead of like a dual threat, kind of just weird hybrid. Yeah, I'm curious to see exactly what it is that ends up happening with Tommy Stevens because with Sean Payton having traded back into the seventh round, even if it was simply just to throw a shot at Joe Brady and the Carolina Panthers, they still invested in him. And so there's a good chance that he still ends up at least on the practice squad. Although if the Saints don't want to, then they might not have to. The thing about sending them down to the practice squad at the beginning of the season is that you have to send them the waivers first. And if they send them the waivers, there's a chance that the Carolina Panthers end up signing him. They're very interested in him. In fact, they were already going. They already had an agreement in place in sort of, let me say, uh, agreed upon verbally with his agent to sign him as an undrafted free agent during the draft. So it makes sense that the Carolina Panthers would pounce if he ended up hitting the waiver wire. But for the Saints, it'd be interesting to see what it is that they do with Tommy Stevens because he could be somebody that could be that spark plug special teams guy. He could be somebody that should Tommy should sorry Taysom Hill need to step in for Drew Brees for any amount of time that Tommy Stevens could assume Taysom Hill's potential offensive role. So there's a lot of different places where Tommy Stevens fits in. It makes you wonder, and Jeff Tripler of ESPN, who covers the Saints, actually predicted Tommy Stevens to end up on the 53-man roster as a fourth quarterback. Could they go that route to keep him around and help him serve some additional roles? And and on his roster in particular, having Tommy Stevens and Taysom Hill allow the Saints to not keep a fullback because you've got a pair of fullbacks and a pair of tight ends with both of those guys. So it'll be interesting to see exactly what it is that they do with him. But if he does end up on the practice wide for the Saints, I imagine he'll be one of those untouchable guys. Does it seem like we you brought up four quarterbacks? I'm just definitely kind of thinking, doesn't it seem just out of the ordinary to have four quarterbacks on your active roster? Very out of the ordinary. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised to see a lot of teams this year go with only two quarterbacks on their roster because of the provision that allows teams to protect a potential quarterback that's on their training, I'm sorry, that's on their practice squad roster. So for the Saints, that's probably not going to be the case. For the Saints, you'll see them probably carry, my, my prediction is probably three uh, quarterbacks with Drew Brees, Taysom Hill, and, uh, and Jameis Winston. Jameis Winston potentially being the most immediate backup so that Taysom Hill can continue to play his offensive role. Or if Taysom Hill were to get hurt playing his offensive role, they still have a reliable backup in Jameis Winston that has a little bit more of the same type of prototypical pocket passer style of Drew Brees, although not you know the same quarterback as Drew Brees, of course. But yeah, it would be very out of the ordinary to see them carry four quarterbacks in terms of natural positions. But because of the fact that Tommy Stevens and Taysom Hill can play so many other different positions, it's not too far from reality, although it would be odd. This is why we create the flex position for those two players. Exactly right. <laughs> we need an edge designation and we need on the defensive side and we need some kind of a flex designation over on the offensive side. Exactly. If you're going to do it for fantasy football, we need to do it in the real world. I think that's one thing that needs to change in the post-COVID times that eventually, hopefully, we're going to get into. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, the the Saints as well as a lot of other teams, when you look at the San Francisco 49ers as well, an argument could be made for the uh, Baltimore Ravens. There's a lot of teams that are looking at more positionless, quote-unquote, players and how it is that they can essentially bring the best athletes onto their team and then get them. It's kind of high school ball in that way. You give the best athlete the ball. It's simple. And that's a lot of what you're seeing in the NFL now where they're trying to just get the best athletes and figure out where they fit and where their skill set best serves the team and allowing them to move around. You see a lot for the Saints defense as well as their offense. Talk right now, Ross Jackson, Locked On Saints podcast and also Canal Street Chronicles. And one of the things you all put up on Canal Street Chronicles earlier this week is something that definitely has intrigued me. We talked a lot about the fact training camp and 80-man roster you're going to be dealing with. Who's going to be some guys that are very, very fringe of making that 80-man roster in your mind right now? Yeah, a couple of guys that are undrafted free agents that stick out immediately. I mean, Blake Dillikin, the punter out of Penn State, he's got some incredible stats. He's got some incredible numbers during his time there. Uh, he had four different punts beyond 70 yards. He had nine of them beyond 65 yards. He went over 10,000 total net, uh, net punt yards during his career there. He's second in Penn State's punt yards in terms of their career record. He's an incredible player at his position, but... The fact of the matter is that he was really brought in to make sure that Taysom, I'm sorry, not Taysom Hill. Well, Taysom Hill might as well be a punter at this point, but uh, <laughs> Thomas Morstead gets, gets the rest uh, every now and then during camp. I can't see them really holding and giving up uh, a position that now is sort of prime real estate in a way, considering that they have to cut away 10 of these players. I can't see them holding on to a punter just for the sake of giving Thomas Morstead a little bit of rest when they could just make the call to give Thomas Morissette a little bit of rest. And maybe they just let Taysom Hill punt, actually. Maybe I just stumbled upon an idea by accident there. But regardless, I don't really see them giving up a roster spot for uh, Blake Gillikin. Another guy that stands out there that's a veteran, uh, to name somebody that's not an undrafted free agent, is actually Tommy Lee Lewis. Tommy Lee Lewis is somebody that I know that this coaching staff loves, particularly Sean Payton, but when you look at the room of wide receivers that are there, it's hard to see where Tommy Lee Lewis fits in. Because you can't even really make the return specialist argument for him anymore because of the fact that, A, he's never been very good at it, and, B, there's Deontay Harris, who was came, at, who came in last year as an undrafted free agent, and his first team all-pro at that position. So Tommy Lewis is probably another one that I would throw in there that's a solid roster guy that's coming in as a veteran, but came in so late in free agency that he's not even on one of the futures contracts or anything like that that kind of promises you a position on the, the training camp roster. Ross, let's kind of... Lighten things up because obviously we're talking a lot of Saints, but I think it's obvious that we need to get into some big topics that happened earlier in the week. The first one, obviously, the Washington football team is the one that's definitely been causing all of this. What was your reaction to seeing the Washington football team? I I took it entirely as an admission of dropping the ball uh, by Dan Quite Snyder literally. and the, and the Washington team, literally, because. Look, they had all the, the day that they announced that they were going to officially change it. Because remember, they had three different announcements. They had the announcer that said, well, we're never going to change the name. Then they had the announcer that said, okay, well, we'll think about changing the name. And then we had the announcement that said, okay, we are going to change the name. That third announcement where they said, okay, I guess we'll change the name was supposed to be rumored that they were changing the name and they were going to announce the new name. I think, and from what I'm understanding, because there was the one guy, I can't remember his name, but it was the guy that back about five years ago went through and copyrighted all of the possible Washington names that seemed popular, Red Tails, Red Wolves, Warriors, Sent- uh, Sentinels, you know, if you want to go back to the D.C. Sentinels uh, from, you know, their replacements. It, it, they brought in, he, he went ahead and copyrighted all those names, and I think that that's what the issue is. And so Washington had to essentially pick 
you know, every now and then we get interim coaches. They had to pick an interim team name because they weren't on top of their stuff and getting the name that they actually wanted, uh, either whether it be because of copyright issues, whether it be because of some other issues that they need to iron out or details that they need to iron out. But they could potentially play the entirety of the 2020 season as simply the Washington football team, which really is there anything else that really summarizes the Washington football franchise more than that very fact. Exactly, and I find it amazing. But I also want them to kind of keep that name for a little bit longer beyond 2020 and just put a football as the logo on the helmet. <laughs> Literally just call them the Washington footballs. Just get it over with and then just move on from there. It's hysterical. It is absolutely amazing, Ross. And, you know, before I let you go, we had this conversation yesterday during Bumper to Bumper Sports. I feel like carrying the conversation over because I think we'll have a lot of fun <laughs> with it. So the question we had yesterday was, what is one player – like let's just use the Saints for an example here. What's one player mm-hmm. that you would not be if you would not be able to really like root for if he joined the Saints roster? Oh, maybe if he joined the Saints roster, I'd probably have to go with well, Mikel Roby Coleman was one that came up this offseason because he was a free agent. The Saints were apparently in the market for a slot corner, so he was definitely one. But honestly, just in terms of my just deep rooted hate for the Falcons. I think if for whatever reason a Jameis Winston like situation happened with Matt Ryan, I'd have to throw my hands up on that one. I would have to give up everything. Just not not my fandom, but I would essentially have to like give up on Matt Ryan entirely <laughs> on that one. And you would not be able to get me to get to a point to where I would appreciate the fact that Matt Ryan was on the roster. The only time that I would appreciate him is if we found out that during training camp and during practice shot title stiff on him again, then maybe I'd check on him. But other than that, I would want nothing to do with it. Matt Ryan was definitely kind of in consideration. Mind you, that would that would break up the the love story between uh, Matt Ryan and Cam Jordan. That's true. You would hate to see that. You'd hate to see that. It was already hard enough to watch Cam Newton go out of the division. But then to see Matt Ryan end up on the same team, then there's just no fun anymore. Exactly. But you know, one more <laughs> one more before I let you go. And mm-hmm. it's this is actually a, something we got going on on 1037thegame.com. It's called Acadiana's Legends of the Fall. It's a bracket determining the best high school football player in the Acadiana area since 1970. But I'm just going with more your style. Whenever you were in high school, who was the one player that you remember seeing back in the gap and you were just blown away by? Oh, man. I would probably say there was a it, – it, it's okay if it's somebody that's a relative unknown, I imagine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, just, just throw, the, throw the name out there. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. So for me, because I had after Katrina, I had moved to Hot Springs, Arkansas. There was a um, there was a quarterback named uh, Philip Butterfield. Which, first of all, you hear that name and then you're like, oh, we're going up against Butterfield. Everything will be fine. But he was an incredible. You remember what I mentioned earlier about the idea of high school football, to where you just go ahead and put you you put you get the best athlete the yeah. ball. You put the ball in the best athlete's hand. He was the best athlete, and he was the quarterback. So he touched the ball every single play. And I hated it. I hated it every single time because I would line up as free safety on the opposite side. And so I'm 12, 15 yards away from them trying to figure out exactly what it is that they're trying to do with route combinations and things like that. But then it all ended up for naught because he would end up on the opposite side of the field sprinting down the field like Michael Vick. And I hated going up against him. <laughs> Ross, thank you so much for coming on, my man. We'll talk to you down the road. Hopefully we get once we get closer to football because we don't have preseason to break down. So we'll get to you a little right. bit before we finally get to Live bullets flying, no matter if there's fans or not. Yeah, that sounds great, man. Looking forward to it. Thank you very much, as always, for having me on. Stay safe, and uh, as always, I appreciate you, and thank everybody over at the station for me. 
All right, that was Ross Jackson, everybody. Locked on Saints podcast and more important part of the Canal Street Chronicles. We weren't simulcast, but guess what? You heard it right here on 103.7 The Game. Going to wrap up the show. One final take before we get out of here. It will get you that much closer to Astros baseball. You are listening to Under the Dome with CD right here on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game. Just before we close up shop here on 1037 The Game, the famous CD is looking to fire off one more take before dropping the mic. Is it going to be a hot one? Or is it going to be one he'd like to take back six months down the road? Let's listen in and find out. When it comes down to it for me, I think the biggest thing that needs to change in post-COVID times is without a doubt getting rid of the blackout games. Get rid of it on TV. Get rid of it on the interwebs. Just get rid of it altogether. Me and Ben talked about a lot. I know Jordy ran it and raved about it because of the fact that he wasn't able to see the Pelican scrimmage game on Fox Sports through through the Pelicans.com website and everything. Honestly, it is well past time to get rid of blackouts and TV, especially in COVID times when you can't go to a Pelicans game, when you can't go to an Astros game, especially when you can't go to a Saints game. There are a lot of things that need to change in the world of sports post-COVID. I think this, without a doubt, ranks highly above all the other ones. Get rid of blackout games. That's going to be where I say, and I put my foot absolutely down on this floor and say it is well past time to get rid of this abomination in the history of sports. Because honestly, we got rid of it in the NFL for the most part. The NBA, the MLB, especially the MLB, who's out of touch as all get out, it is past time for them to get rid of it and let people watch it. Make sure you get your brand to grow. This is going to be the absolute biggest key for the MLB's success after everything they've dealt with over the last several months. It is well past time. It is officially time to get rid of this, and it's officially time for me to get on out of here. Hope you have a great rest of your Saturday. I'll be back with you next week. Not quite the same bad time. Moving over an hour. We're going to be going from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m., which is absolutely fantastic because when we start, the NBA will be restarting on August 1st. You have it technically, it's on July 30th, but there's going to be wall to wall NBA. We'll talk about that and so much more. Take it easy. Have a great rest of your weekend. I'll be back with you on Monday as well with Bumper to Bumper Sports and the Jordy Holtberg Show. So just kick back, relax, and take it easy. Oh yeah, kick it!